rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So this week felt good because I think I said that one of my first experiences with the X-Files was watching the movie. And finally, I understand one of the major plot points of the movie that was not explained in the movie, which is this black oil stuff. Yeah, I, I still have a hard time believing that you went to see the X-Files movie without watching the show, but like I said, a lot of people did that. Yeah, no, again, I thought it was going to be a standalone thing. I figure, all right, they're going to fight aliens, but it was so uh, entrenched in the mythology. So it's weird coming almost backwards to it. Um, but at the same time, you know, seeing at the beginning this oil stuff in the eyes makes me realize, okay, this is actually a very significant pair of episodes. This is one that is going to, I would say, shape kind of the imagery of the X-Files from now. Um, which all of the myth episodes so far have done, but um, I... Yeah. This was I, I, a great two-parter. No, it's very, very good, and it's very well done. And I, I think I said before that um, the last mythology two-parter was, was probably the best that the show had done to that point, and I think that this one is even better. Yeah. And they know what they're doing. Oh, I mean, God, I think yeah. that, that part of it, of course, is that Chris Carter and Frank Spotnitz, the, the team now, has, has really come together on these mythology episodes. And so the two of them work really well together on these mythology episodes. I think they both have their strengths and are able to mitigate some of the weaknesses of, of themselves as single writers. And so they have figured out how to write these sort of episodes now, and they are very well done. Uh, I also am reminded of something I said, um, I think perhaps the last time we did a mythology episode or, or the time before, which is that one of the things I'm finding so interesting about the the mythology myth arc episodes, this watch, is that they keep introduced. They don't really have much to do with each other. Yeah. Like they keep introducing new elements to the alien conspiracy that. And it's just like piling layers upon layers upon layers without really connecting it to anything else. There is this sort of vague tissue running through it with the, uh, uh, you know, conspiracy guys sitting in the dark room in New York City and the cigarette smoking man and Crychek and things like that. But, you know, it's almost like that's just the that's like the, the, the melody of the episode or something like that, where they're linking them together more because of who the characters are and what they're, who, you know, who's in it more than anything of what's going on. And I think it does make it feel very, very, very broad and unknowing yeah. because every time Mulder and Scully think they have this alien conspiracy shit figured out, oh, okay, yeah. now there's like sapient you know, motor oil or something <laughs> that's able to control people. And what does that mean? You know, and, and, and I also think that the other thing is that, you know, I think you see this very clearly in the second episode, Apocrypha, that they're also finally willing and comfortable with poking fun at the, you know, frankly, the unbelievable nature of the mythology, you know, Mulder spinning out that theory about the black oil and, you know, Scully is looking at him incredulously and he's like, yeah, I know it's ridiculous. Yeah, but she just kind of runs with it, too, in this episode. Right. Like, and that's not something the show would have done in season one or season two. Yeah. And so the show is getting more comfortable doing that as well. I find it's a lot less plot and more of atmosphere. And so I just finished watching the uh, Twin Peaks renewal revival series. And again, 
Twin Peaks influenced X-Files, which you can in turn influences Twin Peaks. And, you know, a lot of people are looking at it and trying to trace the literal plot points. And it really doesn't matter in both in both shows. It's it's a tone and an atmosphere. And again, in the X-Files, it's of this conspiracy that they can only sort of understand ever. As much as Mulder and Scully are going to investigate and as much stuff as they are going to find out, there will always be a deeper level because this is again i think i think i said i don't think there is any single character or group of characters in this show that would be able to explain everything that's going on everybody has some stuff that is hidden from them or that they don't understand or that they can't quite comprehend even the cigarette smoking man probably doesn't have all of the pieces and you know a lot of oh i don't think he does at all yeah and i i mean his his position with the shadowy group is more and more tenuous a lot of times it seems. Yeah. Cause it really, you know, not, not to get too grandiose about it, but I, I really think that, that one of the things that I am realizing about these mythology episodes and probably really about the X-Files in general as a television show is that a lot of what it's about on a, on a, um, a, a metaphorical level is, essentially the unknowable nature of the forces that are influencing mm. our everyday lives in a sense yeah. and that you know so that really is is compounded here because so much of what Mulder and Scully are going through on this quest for the truth is they don't know why it's happening they don't know what's going on they they don't see all of it they only see halves and pieces and bits yeah. of it and 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 backsides of it and all kinds of stuff but they're never able to get a full contextual understanding of of how all this stuff fits together and i think that what is interesting is that they're they're growing increasingly comfortable with that and they are also able to as i think you see with scully's frankly her her extremely powerful Mm. opening scene with skinner in piper maru where she is angry and and she is she is profoundly it's a rage that she understands that she is able to she has clarity surrounding her sister's death she has clarity surrounding what that means and what she can do about it and that is where her interest really lies and that is why Skinner ultimately gets shot and so both characters are now I think realizing what's important to them what they can control what they can't control and the rest of this stuff is almost not not a game to them I think they still take it seriously but I think there's a realization an unspoken realization that they're not going to be able to control this. And so they just kind of have to go with it in a sense. Yeah, they have to figure out, they have to, what is it, accept the things they cannot change, change the thing that they can and know the difference on this. Um, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is a really wonderful speech when she's, I, and I mean, I think it is also Skinner's and Mulder's reactions to things like her sister's death is giving, is is very much informing her relationship with them. I think that, as angry as Scully is that, you know, they're, you know, dropping this case and, you know, she does recognize that, you know, when Skinner says, I am going to look onto this on my own, I'm going to do everything I can. I know some of this is out of my hands, but I think she is recognizing that, no, he is, no matter what, we are aligned on the same side and he is recognizing that there is something wrong here. I think she's in, almost admonishing him for not going too far. I mean, it... 
His speech almost reminds me of all of the people who, in the wake of Charlottesville, were, well, white nationalism is terrible, but not saying Trump is a fucking Nazi. You know, you, you, you need to just say it. Don't leave it unspoken. Fucking say it. And then, of course, the counterpoint to that scene is when she goes into the basement and she's saying to Mulder, you know, you're a dog with a bone with this. You know, you have a case. You, there is nothing you know, even at the risk of sanity and life and everything, if you have a you have a case, if there is something that Mulder wants to figure out, nothing will stop him from doing that. And I think that is why she respects him so much, even though he has it's brought him to the basement, as he admits, he is never going to listen to a directive which says, you know, ignore the death of this poor woman who was just shot randomly. Yeah, yeah. Because I, 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 there's a lot to go with that. But I think, you know, I, I do want to talk about Skinner and I also want to talk about, about Scully because, you know, I really think that this is probably the first mythology two-parter that, that primarily is, is about Scully. Yeah. And Scully is really driving the action here as opposed to Mulder, which I think is interesting and, and a sign that, you know, Mul- it, it, Melissa's death has really catalyzed this and made this her, um, her quest as well. And I think that's something that the show has been building to. But I want to talk about Krychek because I think that he's a every character in this two-parter that is that that is a recurring character that we have seen before has a very different role to play. And Krychek to me, and I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. Krychek to me is is the character that has the most clarity around these events and about what is happening because. And I'm not saying he understands the conspiracy. I'm saying that he understands that it doesn't matter that he doesn't understand it and that he knows exactly what he wants. He wants to stay alive and he wants to make money. And this is what he is going to do. This is what he is trying to do. And there is a real power to that that Krychek has. Now, of course, at the end of Apocrypha, Krychek yeah. is, you know, deep underground, trapped in a bunker with a UFO in North Dakota, so it didn't end well for him. I don't know if they're going to kill him off or not. It could go either way, of course. But, see, I actually, I completely disagree with you. I think Krychek is kind of such a pawn in this. Nobody gives a shit about Krychek. Krychek is such a tiny thing. He is, I I mean, he he showed, when when Krychek was first introduced... He had his own agenda. He was, you know, in control of the situation. And I think these episodes are making clear what a lack of control he is to the degree where his his physical body is being controlled by another entity. I don't think he has any real any real agency. I think the little things he's trying to do, he's trying to make some money out of this shore. But that turns out to be a very stupid idea because I, I, I think. Krychek is somebody who thinks he's a major player but is just a tiny nothing, and he's only around because it's convenient for certain parties for Krychek to be around. Sometimes he can do a thing for them, but the second he becomes useless, he's gone, He's and you know he's locked in a bunker at the end of the episode. See, I, I, I disagree with you. I, I think that Krychek never had any agency. I mean, even when he was first introduced early in the second season of the show— mm-hmm. He was a pawn of the cigarette smoking man. I mean, he didn't have his own agenda. He didn't have any agency there. He he was working for uh, the conspiracy and working for the cigarette smoking man. And and, and as soon as he became uh, a liability, he was disposed of. So I don't think that that's the case. And I think that what what is interesting to me about the character of Krychek is that he is he is so 
nakedly mercenary. He he knows now that his only purpose in life is to stay alive and to to make sure that he has some money. I don't think that he really cares about the alien yeah. conspiracy. And I also think it's incidental, of course, he's taken over by the black oil. I think that, that someone has to be. And why not Krychek? Yeah, because we like Krychek. He's he's very good at being villainous and let's make him even more villainous. Let's give him the power to murder people by sending radiation through their body. Why not? So, yeah, I don't know. I don't just, I don't really agree with you. And I think that, that the other part of that, of course, is that at the end of the episode, it, it, it's almost as though his lack of interest in his own agency is is a liability because that's how they, they capture him. Hmm. I guess either way, Krychek is somebody who – it's interesting because he is a recurring character. I would say he is a major character as far as the mythology arcs go, but – just in terms of his role in the plot, really, he is just a tiny nothing. He's an ant to be squished by everything. And that, in a way, I think drives home the horror of the conspiracy because Krychek is, in his ways, very dangerous, right? He is a murderer. He is, he is right, a hitman. Right. But, you know, he's just compared to the forces that have actual power. He's a nothing. Well, no one respects him. And that's really what it comes yeah. down to, is that, that Krychek is a character who no one respects. Mulder is dismissive of him. The Cigarette Smoky Man is dismissive of him. I don't think Scully gives him any thought whatsoever. You know, no one respects him. And that is interesting because I think that for most of the characters that we see on a recurring basis, there is a deep respect there. Yeah. You know, I think that, that Mulder and Scully... You know, whether or not they actually like Skinner, I think they respect him. I think that Skinner respects both Mulder and Scully. And you know, Mulder and Scully, in their weird way, respect, you know, the likes of the cigarette-smoking man, even though he is one of their major antagonists. Because they do recognize, okay, this guy does have power. This guy does know a lot of what's going on, even if it's not everything. This guy does have some agency in this world. They may not like him, but I think they respect his position. And nobody, you're right, nobody does that to Krychek, because who is Krychek? He's just... Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's an interesting point, though, and a good place to, to move, because you're right, I think that Mulder and Scully have a growing a, gr- a growing and grudging respect for the cigarette-smoking man, <laughs> but at the same time that is happening, we are learning that the cigarette-smoking man might not be as much of a major player yeah. in the conspiracy as we thought. He He seems like he's being taken to task a lot in this episode and he is being summoned right i mean if he was a major player in the conspiracy i don't necessarily think he would be uh, uh able to be summoned to that room to answer for for what he did so i mean i even think about in the in the flashback scene when you have Mulder's father you know talking to this uh guy and you see the cigarette smoking man to the side in the in previous scenes, yes, the cigarette-smoking man has been to the side, and that has been him in a position of power. He's off in the corner observing everything. He, You know, you don't address him. You don't have the right to address him, but he's going to watch, and he's going to know everything that's going on, and he's going to do what he what does with that. In the scene when he's brought with, you know, with, the, with Mulder's father, I think he is— He's a sidekick in that way. You know, he isn't even a Mulder's father was a bigger player in this conspiracy, it seems. Yeah, certainly, because I, I don't know what we're supposed to make of that scene that opens uh, Apocrypha. It, it, it certainly. I mean, I think it's, it's important to know that, number one, this thing has been going all on for 
the better part of a generation. You know, this is something that's 40, 50 years old. And, you know, he's been there since pretty much the beginning. You know, maybe, you know, you, you, he's, he's old enough in that scene that he could have been around for Roswell, you know, or whatever. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how old he's supposed to be in that episode. I don't know if the third person in that room is supposed to be Deep Throat, perhaps, perhaps not. Mm-hmm. Who knows? And think about that. You know, these yeah. kind of things. I mean, w- was Deep Throat one of the guys in that room? I don't know. I huh. mean, what you know, we don't have an answer for that. And I also think that, that you know, not, not to get too grandiose again, but I, I guess it's just that type of episode <laughs> that there is. I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting about the ways in which The X-Files is developing this story as well is that it is really aligning the growing importance of the conspiracy and the real i think journey of the conspiracy and this alien menace whatever is going on with it all these different facets i mean the gray aliens and the alien bounty hunters and now this black oil you know we don't know exactly what's going on with any of this but it's really aligned with the end of World War II and sort of the ascendancy of America, in, you know, on the world stage. So it, it's it's like I don't know if it's supposed to, I don't know if it's we're supposed to read it as a metaphorical critique of American imperialism. Maybe that's too grandiose for a Fox network show from the mid nineteen nineties. But at the same time, I think we are supposed to, for example. This is a hell of a metaphor for post Hiroshima, right? This, these episodes, uh, and I, I, I think a certain amount of grandiosity is earned by this. I mean, this is a fifty-year conspiracy we're dealing with. You know, these are, and maybe even more ancient. Yeah, because at the end of the day, everyone takes their orders, and everyone has a place in the chain of command. And I, I also think that's the point of that scene in Piper Maru where Scully goes to talk to the old officer who she used to know groped down yeah. the street from him you know he pretends to be more senile than he is and doesn't remember uh and then he suddenly becomes a very powerful man in that scene where he he shows up uh at her car and tells her what was going on you know we don't know exactly why he had that change of heart but I think really that's the point of that is is we do get a sense that everybody takes their orders from somewhere and that, you know, Scully thinks that I think for both Mulder and Scully, they think that one they're going to find that one person that's going to be able to answer all their yeah. questions and completely spell out uh, what what has been going on for the past 50 years in a very, very succinct way. You know, they might even have a pamphlet, right? <laughs> like <laughs> They're just going to hand them this pamphlet and Mulder and Scully are going to look at it and go, oh. Right. That makes sense. Okay, cool. Uh, But that's not going to happen. I think that's what, like, we're realizing as these episodes are going on is, like, that's not possible because no one understands it. And one of the things that this episode is making clear is that, I mean, the episode is doing a – these episodes are doing a lot to humanize the conspiracy and the old dude at the army base, you know. When he picks her up, that's – you know, initially he he implies that his son is still alive and then – when he goes, he tells her that, no, he died, and that's when he starts saying, you know, conscience, this, as you said, Chris Carter's really great at the aphorism, uh, we bury our dead alive, conscience is the voice of the dead trying to save us from damnation. This is somebody who, he may on paper be this conspiracy man 100%, and he's going to, uh, you know, stonewall anybody who goes, and he's very good at, but... As he's sitting alone, and at that point, you know, he probably grabbed a picture of his kid. Maybe he had a picture of his kid and Scully playing together when they were children. And 
you know, then his conscience gets the better of him. He did have a son who he did love and who did die. And this is, he is a person at the end of the day. And I, you know, he does develop a sympathy for her maybe a few minutes later than he ought to have. But I think that's one of the, I mean, that's kind of a really powerful and dangerous thing, right? This con, this, this conspiracy could crumble because at the end of the day, people might just become human at the end. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I, I also think you you see that, you know, in the scene in Apocrypha where Mulder uh, finds the phone number for the secret lair of the conspiracy <laughs> headquarters. And, you know, why does that guy agree to meet Mulder? What, uh, yeah. what, does, he, what does he get out of it? And I think that what he gets out of it is... He wants to meet Mulder. Yeah. I, I really think that's what it comes down to. I don't think he doesn't know. Any, I mean, obviously, he wants to find out what Mulder knows, and he wants yeah. to find out if he knows where Krychek is. But, you know, it's not like he's just, like, satisfying his own curiosity. But I think on, on a fundamental level, like, he just wants to meet this guy. He wants to see him. You know, well, he's already yeah. talked to uh, Scully at the end of the second season, right? And so now he gets to see the other half of this he you know scully is sort of like the the i don't want to say the lesser half of the two but perhaps no. she's the the less famous of the two and now he gets to meet Mulder, and, and he's like oh wow this guy's interesting you know and i mean and he just... seems impressed by the fact that you know we put all of the security around you know getting this number secret and nobody knows this number unless we've directly told it and Mulder's figured which, it out. Like he's he's impressed by that. I which mean, come on, which come on. The phone number is like five 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 one 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 one. I mean, this is not a hard phone number to figure out. Yeah, but I don't think you know Mulder did five 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 one 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 one. No, five 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 one 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 two. No, five five. <laughs> um, well, Mulder Mulder knows he's in a television show, and he knows that all phone numbers end with. I would start with five five five. That's true. Um. But yeah, like, like I, I, I think there is just some of that. Like he kind of wants to meet the guy in person to congratulate him almost on, you know, all right, you, you found me. Good job. <laughs> yeah, uh, you've earned like... a little bit of information, maybe. Yeah, no, I think so. Because, I, I, you know, you get to see me. You know, why not? I mean, what, what does it really do? You have no information on me. You're not able to injure me in any way shape or form uh uh you know f professionally personally physically you know Mulder's not going to pull out a gun and shoot the guy in central park that's not going to happen and it's just he does he gets to satisfy his own curiosity and i think he also gets to perhaps rub his nose in, in Mulder's face a little bit because the other half of that of course is that Mulder thinks he's going to meet the conspiracy mind guy who knows everything yeah. and as it turns out Mulder doesn't meet that guy because that guy doesn't exist yeah and i wonder to what degree the conspiracy still thinks that they can use Mulder. again they have been able to manipulate him previously and so you know throw Mulder a bone maybe he'll be happy you know maybe we'll tell him enough because again we keep seeing the bottom dropping out out and something else being revealed maybe they figured they can all right we can tell him level d of everything and he'll say all right that's everything and then levels e through z get safe still yeah because the other the other part of that too of course is that that weird scene that well the weird plot line of piper maru with uh callan check or something and the in you know the the sort of like information broker that is the oh, person yeah. who cry check is trying to sell the information to or trying Hong to find Kong, a buyer yeah. You know, that that's a very weird plot line, and I, I'm not really sure 
I mean, obviously, the point of that is to indicate that there is a sort of a black market or a, a separate sort of area where the secrets for the government are being bought and sold and private industry is getting involved in this and et cetera, et cetera. But I think it helps to broaden it and make it more exotic. Again, we're going to Hong Kong. That's a very exotic location. That's something that the show hasn't gone into yet. So, you know, this isn't, again, the... the Even though we don't actually see any of Hong Kong. (laughs) We see a Chinese restaurant, and I believe it. Um, And and even way back as Deep Throat saying, well, this was, you know, five governments, you know, got together and decided to keep the secret. This is not just, you know, a couple of dozen people in the U.S. involved in this. This is how many people worldwide are invested in this secret. Well, yeah, because I mean, interestingly enough, I think the gunmen that go after Mulder and the woman in the in the office in Hong Kong are Russian. So, you know, nothing ever really gets made of that. But but that seems odd, right? I mean, we haven't really. This has not been a we well we did see like at the end of the second season where the phone calls were happening and you know people in Japan and stuff are answering yeah. the phone and this is apparently a global worldwide conspiracy. But you know at the same time, what what are the Russians doing because? You know, this would have been only a few years after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And so, I mean, to me, was... that was as simple as, you know, well, you have all the spies from Russia. Once the Soviet Union collapses, they still need jobs. So, yeah, but it's 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 still. a weird choice to make them Russian, though, because yeah. there was a. The conspiracy probably would not have had any operatives in the Soviet Union. That was not really a thing that happened. I mean, maybe we're supposed to assume, yes, they did, and they were just that powerful that it crossed the the Cold War. But, you know, we're kind of spinning our wheels, and I'm kind of extrapolating out from that. No, and it does make more sense for if you're doing a mission in Hong Kong to have people who are from Hong Kong know the city, know the language, know the— Right. Anyway. Yeah, so it's just it's just weird to me, and I, I you know, we'll we'll see where that goes if it goes anywhere. Well, it do, but again, it doesn't matter if it doesn't go anywhere. I think at that point, the point of that sequence was just the was just the globe trotting exoticness of the locations, or was it? Well, I don't know yet. <laughs> so let's talk about Skinner. Okay. What's going on with him in this episode? He is, uh, well, I mean, he obviously gets in a very bad situation. I, I think what's interesting about, about Skinner's storyline in, in these two episodes is, well, A, the man is able to uh, recover from a, a gut shot uh, very, very quickly. Um, so good for him. Apparently he is Wolverine. Uh, but they give him a chance, right? Like we get this new... Uh, glimpse of Skinner as this guy who's sort of like a mid-level functionary in the FBI who goes to this like classic dark uh, restaurant to eat his sad little blue plate special every day. The waitress obviously knows who he is. Uh, There's a familiarity there. He's reading his newspaper and this is like his time to like get away from his job. And then he's got these fucking asshole like intelligence agency people showing up at his sanctuary and annoying him with annoying questions. And but that that is that's interesting to me because that scene, I think the purpose of is to give Skinner a a chance To say, oh, yeah, you know what, guys, you're really scary and you're right. You've convinced me. I'm going to uh, tell the FBI that I do not want them to investigate Melissa Scully's death anymore. 
And he doesn't do that. And I think that, you know, Skinner is a hothead and Skinner is kind of stubborn and Skinner perhaps doesn't always know when he's in danger. And of course, that doesn't work and he gets shot by the guy. So what are we supposed to take away from that? I mean, in his own way, he uh, but again, he in his own way, he and Mulder are not going to back down from a thing that they know is right. Uh, Skinner may, because of his position and because of the resources that he has in his position and the usefulness that he can put those resources to, he is not going to torpedo his career the way that Mulder is. Mulder does. Uh, because I don't think Mulder, you know, Skinner is looking out for Mulder in his way. Nobody is looking out for Skinner. And so Skinner has to cover his own ass a lot of the times. And so, you well, know, that's he- not entirely true, though. I mean, I, I think that that one of the things that I think is is really uh, moving, frankly, about Apocrypha is is the way in which Scully takes control of that situation and and protects Skinner. Yeah, that's true. Well, we, yeah, I mean, I, I think with that, their relationship is going both ways. That is Scully recognizing what she isn't quite angry with him for not viewing, not taking care of his sister's case but when he gets shot she recognizes he is doing everything he can so now it's my it it is my turn you know he they they owe that to each other they have earned that kind of relationship of trust between each other um i mean remember it wasn't that long ago that they were pulling guns on each other so uh that is true yeah that, that she is getting to the point where she is you know doing everything she can to make sure he is protected and taken care of is pretty pretty important um, yeah because i i think that like there's two things going on there i think you know for skinner you know him getting shot and saying he recognizes the guy and this is the same guy that was with Krychek breaking into mm-hmm. scully's apartment that that accidentally murdered her sister and you know that was the guy that tried to kill Krychek by blowing up the car let's not forget uh you know this this is a guy that is a bad guy and Skinner, I think, realizes to what degree he has put himself in danger and also put his agents in danger by being a stubborn hothead about this. But I don't know that Skinner would do anything differently, which is one of the reasons that I love Skinner as a person, frankly, as a character, because he's got his he's not perfect. He's got his uh, blind spots and he has his personality. I don't want to call them defects, but. I'll call them defects because I can't think of a better word that that sort of put him in danger sometimes. Well, and that yeah. he is now recognizing that he should trust Scully because Scully can can take care of him and can really, you know, she steps up when someone needs to step up to protect him. Well, I think it is. I mean, when when he goes up to when the assassin is harassing the waitress. You know, and Skinner intervenes. I legitimately don't think that he recognizes him quite yet, and he's doing the right thing. You know, she that she is being harassed by a guy. He's a cop. This is what the right thing to do is, and it 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 almost seems that he doesn't even think. Well, this could be a trap. This could be something you know else uh, because he is again blind spot. Maybe he just thinks this is the right thing to do, and yeah. I don't know. I yeah. I think he is. He's trying to walk a fine line, but but he is becoming more. He he is more and more convinced. He totally believes in the conspiracy at this point. He knows shit is up, and you know if he didn't, he has a he has a perforated intestine, which is going to tell him so. Um, 
And in his own way, just like Mulder, when he is convinced of the rightness of a case, he is going to do everything in his damn power that he can to make it be right. Yeah, I think that's right, because, you know, one of the things that I think is is really changing about the, the nature of, of the, the characters in this show is that, you know, as the conspiracy has gone on and as Mulder and Scully and, and Skinner have all worked together longer and longer, and I think as Mulder and Scully have uncovered more and more knowledge or lack of knowledge about the conspiracy and how deep it goes and who they can trust and who they can't trust and all of these things, that there's a there's a real core developing there between Skinner, Mulder, and Scully where they they trust each other primarily, I think, because they have to, but also because they realize that Skinner is also one of them. You know, Skinner... It's a little bit of a different situation, of course, because Skinner is their boss and that he has people that he has to answer to and he has to cover for them and all of these kind of things. And so they don't know exactly what Skinner is doing all the time. But at this point, they can trust him. I mean, yeah. when Skinner goes down to Mulder's office and, and sits down, I mean, that's a really, really that's a really profound moment because that's, I think the first time that Skinner has ever gone down to Mulder. That is a real moment of, of transition for that, that relationship. I, this is making it more personal for her in a, see Mulder has always believed in, in aliens and the conspiracy. He has believed that there is a government's conspiracy hiding aliens and all of this shit. And Scully has never done that. And I think for Scully, even at the end of this episode, the aliens are almost incidental. But for her, this is a personal spiritual quest at this point. And I think what really clicks that moment is when she's you know, with the puppy dog tech and there are the other agents and, you know, she's saying, oh, we need to figure this out. And one of them says, we've done all we can, you know, we're all we're waiting, you know, the only thing that can help us is a sign from God. And I mean, let's go back to the end of Revelations in which Scully has admitted that she is open to listening to signs from God and that there may be divine things revealed only to her or that only she is able to see. And, at this point, she is recognizing that if there is a divine force, it is putting her on this path. And, it, you know, she doesn't understand where it's going to lead or what it's going to do. But at the end of the day, she is haunted by this concept of, uh, you know, the dead cry out for justice. You know, the conscience is the voice of the dead and they want justice for what's been done to them. And... That's her that is her mission if she has one. Uh it is to figure out how to get justice for the dead of that that are casualties of this. Yeah, I think that's right. Because I, I think in a strange way, Scully's mindset as a scientist is also what's driving her to accept really the the profound just I think spiritual nature of what's yeah. going on. Because she is collecting evidence and she yeah. is spinning this over in her own mind and letting it percolate. And I think this episode, you really see that, you know, whether or not everything that she's seen is true or Mulder has said exactly what, um, you know, what, whatever Mulder's crazy theory is, is exactly what's going on. You know, I keep going back to that exchange she has with, uh, well, not even really an exchange. It's it's sort of like two people that are uh having like different they're talking to themselves essentially where she says like um 
you know, she says other than a sign from God. And, and she yeah. says, uh, you know, well, I, I've seen uh, stranger things. And then the text says, oh, I believe she has, you know, <laughs> and they're not talking to each other. I mean, I think Scully left the room at that point. But that's really the indication to me that, that Scully is on board with all of this. And at the same yeah. time, she is really coming into her own as a powerful uh, FBI agent, because this is really the episode where I think we see her strongly acting as a professional FBI agent when she is essentially ordering the other FBI agents around, you know, what's going on with Skinner? This is yeah. the assistant director. You need to put all resources available on this. This is ridiculous that no one is guarding him, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that that's really where you see Scully coming out from under the the auspices of Mulder in a way. Yeah, I mean, they have no excuse. They could... She knows it's bullshit for them to say, oh, we have no clues on... as to the identity of Melissa's killer. Okay, that's bullshit, but all right. But, you know, and yes, she may have been a family member of an FBI agent, but yeah, this guy is an assistant director. If he does not have round-the-clock protection, if he doesn't have every agent in the field trying to figure out who shot him, if they are not then something really is up. That is incontrovertible at this point. I mean, a a cop gets shot. They are going to figure out everything they can to who shot them. Yeah, right. And and that's that's really the thing is like, and that's what what works about it is that, you know, I don't know if Scully is thinking this way, but, but, you know, certainly the audience is thinking this way that are these FBI agents corrupted? Are they part of the conspiracy? You know, we don't know. And, And that's really what it comes down to. And I think that's what the core of these, two episodes are really about is is the realization that you know these three characters need to trust each other because they can't trust anybody else yeah the kind the sorry the 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 two fbi agents they i mean i get the sense by the episode they're not corrupted but they're kind of shitty agents you know they are not the best and brightest on on the force and so they are this is the most half-assed all right well we'll send those two they'll never figure anything out Right, because it's like they probably aren't actually part of the conspiracy. They're yeah. just kind of like, well, I don't know. It was a random guy who shot him. I mean, what do we really need to worry about this for? Like, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out, but it's not urgent. I want to go home. You know, <laughs> like yeah. whatever it is. And Scully has to berate them and say, like, no, you need to do your fucking job. Like, this is not okay. Uh, and as it turns out, of course, Scully is right because something happens and Skinner gets transferred abruptly and then the guards are gone and the guy tries to kill uh, uh, Skinner again and she has to fight him off. And then of course he commits suicide quote unquote in his own cell. So it is a nice way to wrap up that because this guy is now dead and they can't do anything about it. Yeah. um, And I mean, they do go for, they do talk about Scully's anger in a way that, I would not have characterized Scully as angry prior to this episode, but certainly I think they they sell it. And, you know, Skinner does have to warn her against getting too close to this and all of that. You know, you are going to yeah. let your anger destroy yourself on this. And, you know, she does stop herself from going over the edge uh, because ultimately she will. She is in control of herself in that way. But you know, these are very strong emotions that are in her. Yeah, but I but I also think it's it's nice that Scully is able to express her yes. rage and her anger because you know that is something that women very often do not feel comfortable doing or cannot do and that men find very threatening and it's never a question that this is not the right way for Scully to be feeling yeah. and that it is not appropriate. 
Well, it's um, a for, for Scully to do that. Like, well, what I'm saying is like yeah. it is. It's never questioned that it is that it is not appropriate for Scully to to be doing this. I mean, you know, she essentially is is berating Skinner at the beginning of this two parter and telling him that he's not doing his job well. And Skinner's like, Yeah, okay, <laughs> you're right. She has cold rage in this episode. It's not hot rage. It's not taking control of her. I mean, that scene when she is ber- you say berating him, but her voice is perfectly. M- controlled she is you can see her getting close to the edge where she you know somebody else may have been screaming that at her but no she is using that anger to make it clear just how much of a just how wrong this is how how horrible that is that they are doing this and how unacceptable that is and yeah because all of her anger is really internalized i mean yeah. and, and and expressions of anger of course are are very different from person to person but you know she is clearly angry in mm-hmm. that scene but but she is not uh she is not portraying it in any of the like you know stereotypical ways that yeah. someone would you know start screaming she's not throwing things you know things like that i mean that is also key to it i mean i don't yeah. think it's incidental that um you know this was the first episode that that uh jillian anderson got nominated for her acting oh, yeah. so you know she does a very good job in, yeah. in piper maru and apocrypha as well but i think she recognizes that skinner is somebody that she can express her rage to who will understand her rage and who can she can trust with her rage, but I also think she recognizes that he is not the target of it, because I think she does believe him when he say, this is wrong, I'm going to do whatever I can. Again, maybe she feels that he isn't going far enough, uh, yeah. and she certainly is going, there. there is a reason that it is Scully and Mulder, and not Scully and Skinner, because she, Mulder is the person who is going to go that extra step and and express how he feels even if she doesn't feel that she can um but i think she recognizes that no scully uh skinner is not the enemy here there is no yeah there in a way there's no sense in screaming him and alienating him because he is an ally of hers yeah i think that's right and i think at the end of the day that's what the the real purpose of this two-parter is yeah it's to bring them closer as a trio yeah well, maybe the last thing to mention before we wrap this episode up is uh, we do see an appearance of by the lone gunman once again. They are back. Uh, they are ice skating, and they uh, apparently think that they're very good at this GI man stuff, and they actually are not. So Aww. they think they're being very, very, very sly. They're, <laughs> they're just not at all. I'm really glad that because I really did not like them in their very first appearance, and I, I. I would not have expected them to be the characters that they... Again, when I first saw them, I'm like, why is this one of the major aspects of the show? They suck, but I think they've done well to figure out... You know, the actors have figured out the characters better. they figured out how to make them more quirky, you know. Froilich or whatever his name is, you know. They softened him in a way, which I, I like him now and all of those things. Frohickey. Frohickey. And, yeah, and I think the one with the beard is super handsome, but that's just me. I do too. Yes. No one else thinks that. Why? He's he's I don't know. He's a snappy dresser. He has a nice groomed beard. He looks like he sucks a mean dick. I mean what? I bet he does. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts you would like to share on either Piper Maru or Apocrypha, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It also supports our other podcast 
Trek about this week, two days ago, we released our episode on Star Trek Discovery oh. Season 1, Episode 5. We do not know what it's called yet because we recorded this ahead of time, but please go enjoy that because it is a reality by the time you listen to this. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tuning In Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. And Richard, I have a surprise for you. What is it? We have a new Tuning In review. Yay! Well, actually, it was left like three months ago, but, you know, close enough. Well, time is very weird with us. It it is. So uh, this was left by Watusi44, who says, My fiancé Barry turned me on to this podcast, and I think it's great. Richard and Eric are insightful and funny, and I'm so glad they're covering the X-Files. Keep up the good work, (gasps) Steph. Well, thank you very much for that nice review staff we really and do appreciate barry. it we should thank yes, and barry. barry too well we should no i'm not thanking barry yet because barry needs to leave us a fucking itunes well, review. that's true but like i mean like you know maybe they lovely sh- fiance staff maybe they share an account i think that barry is with 2c45 so i'm just saying they they need to get on this oh okay well you know i hope you kids are happy together invite us to I, the yeah, wedding I, I hope you two are very, very happy together. I hope that food. your wedding is, is very successful and lovely and moving. And I hope that you have a very, very nice, long, and loving future together. So thank you very much for that review. And if you would like us to talk as warmly about you as we just did about Steph and, and even Barry. I'll, I'll give Barry. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little skeptical about Barry, honestly. I don't know what's going on with Barry. Leave us a review. I don't think I've ever met anybody named Barry. I feel like I have, but I don't know why I think that. Well, it's a very, it's a relatively common name on like TV and stuff. But yeah, I, I've never had a friend named Barry. I'm very sorry. I'm I'm very sorry. <laughs> we have fun. Like one of us does. Steph said we were very funny, and this is us proving it. <laughs> sure. All right, well, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about the X-Files episodes Pusher and Teso dos Bichos, which is Spanish for something, which I don't know because I haven't studied Spanish in a long time. So we'll see you then. Mac, why do you...